This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, November 26, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Protests in Iran continue to highlight the struggle against mandated religious practice by Iran's government. Cato's Mustafa Akil comments. What is happening in Iran is both fascinating and tragic. It's fascinating in the sense that uh, for two months by now, the Iranian people, like hundreds of thousands of them, have been coming out in the streets to condemn a regime that is brutally authoritarian. So that has a toll. I mean, that 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 takes really a courage. Uh, people are coming out and saying death with the dictator, meaning the top ayatollah Ali Khamenei, down with the regime, uh, and and the regime responds brutal with brutality. At least. 300 protesters have been killed, more than 300 protesters. Some of them, it's at least 50 of them actually, are children because the average age of the protesters is 15. So there are a lot of young people, uh, younger than 18 on the streets. Uh, The regime also arrested about 14,000 people. One of these have been given the death sentence just recently and human rights groups are thinking, other death sentences are on the way. The Iranian parliament actually called on the judiciary to give death sentences to the pro- to the protesters, and we will see how that will go. Um, but despite all that, uh, people are so fed up with the totalitarian regime that they are bravely coming out, and uh, they say they want a freer Iran. To what extent are women leading this? Because that, that seemed to have been a lot of the impetus, at least initially, to uh, throw off the hijab and uh, of course, that is both a real protest in terms of I don't like to wear hijab, but it's also symbolic as a broader um, subjugation uh, of women in that country. Women are certainly the leading actors in this latest wave of protests in Iran. It began with the murder of a woman, Mahsa Amini, uh, who was a 22-year-old Iranian woman of Kurdish origin who was arrested by the morality police in Tehran. And, let, and let's be clear, when we say morality police in Iran, we're not. it's not a euphemism. It's not this a euphemism. I mean, what it's they, called, this is what they are called. Yes. I mean, uh, guidance patrol, that is a term, Gast al-Irshad, which means they are guiding people religiously on the right way. And one of their big, big obsessions is that they want to make sure that women cover their hair, right? Cover their head, at least. And Mahsa Amini was covered but it wasn't sufficient. So it was a bit loose, apparently. I mean, that was the reason. They generally arrest women if their head cover is not uh, you know, satisfactory from the regime's uh, preferences, uh, from the perspective of the regime's preferences. Uh, she was arrested. A few days later, her death came out on the news. I mean, we don't know what happened to her, but people saw her being beaten. Her family noticed bruises on her dead body. And the regime said she somehow died, but people don't believe in that. And that incident was the trigger of these protests. And no wonder the protesters have the slogan, women, life, freedom, right? I mean, because one of the characters of the Iranian regime, as with the Taliban, is the Taliban is actually even more sweeping and more authoritarian, but is to make sure that the women know their places, they're properly dressed, and, and that headscarf is is one of those. So the reaction against this compulsory headscarf is at the core of these protests. I emphasize compulsory because 
many women wear the headscarf and it's totally fine. Nobody's against that, right? I mean, uh, some Muslim women think that that's my religious obligation. That's totally fine. That's totally respect, uh, respectable. But when it is compulsory, when the state you know, imposes you, you to do this, which is a religious practice, of course, it's a total different thing. And the reaction is against compulsory hijab. And some of the protesters themselves wear the hijab too. They are against the regime which has made compulsory hijab uh, one of its, you know, uh, one of its iconic policies. You mentioned the rough numbers of protesters, hundreds of thousands, uh, mostly young people. Uh, there are 80 million plus in Iran. Uh, what kind of risk does this actually pose to the regime? Of course, I mean, but when I say there are protesters on the street, this doesn't mean that all Iranians are against the regime. That's not the case. Like in any authoritarian regime, there's still a certain chunk of society that support the regime. In fact, those people have come out in the streets with their own flags and, you know, where support the government and the regime and Islamic Republic kind of protests as well. But the fact that there are so many people out there shows a wide discontent. And it is spread around. I mean, there are Kurdish provinces. You see this very clearly. I mean, they have an, also an ethnic reason to you know, not identify with the regime. Uh, there, there was an incident that sometimes maybe people didn't notice. There was also, in the midst of these protests, a killing in the Sunni, uh, majority Sunni city of Zahadan, that's close to the Pakistani border uh, of Iran. There... Uh, 96 protesters have been killed by the police and they were also condemning the regime and they had come out of a mosque, a Sunni mosque. Uh, and there was actually an incident there unrelated with the Masa Amini case. Uh, one, of the, one of the youngsters, I mean, one of the females of the town was raped by one of the officials of the Islamic Republic and that created an uproar understandably. So they were gunned down by the security forces. Which means like there are people who are unhappy with the Iranian regime because they're secular. There are people unhappy with the Iranian regime because they are uh, they have they're Kurdish or they have some ethnic maybe aspirations, or maybe they're Sunni, right? I mean they are Sunni because Iran is an Islamic republic, but not any Islamic republic. It's a Shiite Islamic republic uh, where Sunnis feel discriminated. Of course, if you go to other Sunni majority countries, you find the Shia being discriminated. That's why I always saying, well, we don't need Shia regimes or Sunni regimes. We need liberal regimes that you know everybody can feel safe under the law. But of course, not everybody agrees with that. So these protests are huge. I don't know. The, nobody knows the exact number. And it's hard to guess where these will take the regime ultimately. Still, the regime has the security forces. The protesters are not armed. And it is possible that they will also crack down on these protesters as well. But this shows something about the future of this government, uh, of this, this Islamic Republic in Iran. The very fact that so many youngsters are there and they're be being brutally, brutally suppressed, which means the regime is building its own demise in the long run. What message does uh, what's going on in Iran send to countries like Turkey? I think the broad lesson from Iran uh, in, in, in these 40 years of Islamic governance is that religious coercion is wrong in principle, but it is also counterproductive too, if you're looking from a religious angle. Because the Iranian Republic came with the promise of re-Islamizing Iranian society. There was the Shah regime, which was also authoritarian, by the way. And the Shah regime in the 30s also 
force women to take their headscarves off. So that was the opposition, you know, that was the, that was the oppression from the other side. But Iranian Republic uh, was created and Khomeini and his uh, fellow Islamists claimed to create a new Iran, a new society. It was a social engineering for the good. Well, what happens after 40 years is that we see that hijab is imposed, that is Islamic headscarf is imposed on the Iranian society. And what the society does? Well, they burn those hijabs. Uh, actually, it's, it's, a, it's a known fact that Iranian society has become quite secular because Islam has become identified with an authoritarian regime and people lose respect to religion itself as well. Uh, alcohol is banned, but everybody knows that home parties are you know, quite wild and, and alcohol is available in undercover. Some people die because of bootleg alcohol, by the way. So if the regime's goal was to Islamize society by making them more pious, it actually achieved quite the opposite. Which should be, and I think, lesson for other Islamic movements, parties, or governments around the world. My country, Turkey, is one of those. I mean, Turkey is not an officially Islamic republic. It's not that overtly religious, at least at this point. But we certainly have a, real, a government in Turkey that wears religion on its sleeve, claims to be the defender of Islam, and and condemns its opponents as the enemy, enemies of Islam. And the result is not that people are becoming more pious. The result is that a lot of Turks have become disenchanted with religion. There's a strong secularization in society. Young people are choosing deism over, over traditional religion, uh, precisely because they are fed up with an authoritarian and corrupt government. Uh, and, and, and that happens in Turkey. It's happening in a tougher and more brutal scale in Iran. And I think the lesson should be, well, if you want Muslim societies to have a healthy sense of religiosity, don't impose Islam on them, respect their liberty, so they allow them to choose to be religious and wear the headscarf if they want to, but do not dictate it on them. You noted recently that uh, many Iranians have converted to Christianity and that the sort of underground Christians in Iran is a fast-growing movement. Exactly. I mean, that's one of the ironies. Uh, Iran is the number one country that produces ex-Muslims, as I always say. That includes people becoming atheists or totally secular. That includes people converting to Christianity. I mean, there's a lot of data on this, and I mentioned them in my Wall Street Journal article, that the Iranian church, although it's underground, it's also suppressed, is actually fast-growing. A lot of the people who escape from Iran and come to the West convert to Christianity. And well, what do you expect? I mean, if you oppress people in the name of Islam, they will lose respect in that faith and they will maybe convert to another faith, which, which is Christianity. Uh, I expect the same thing to happen in Afghanistan too. I mean, in the long run under the Taliban. And I think by all these lessons, I hope the Muslim world will learn a lesson that you know Christians learned in the 17th century, that if you establish theocracies and kill people in the name of God or Christ or Christianity, that's the Christian case, you're not actually even serving your faith. You're actually making a lot of people lose respect in it, and you're only giving a bad name to your religion. Mustafa Akiol is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and author of Reopening Muslim Minds. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.